0: Father, we thank You for this yearly season that brings us again and again and again and again to contemplate the Incarnation. To be wowed by the meaning of Christmas. And so we do ask you because we know it's your joy and your will to bless your children by showcasing your grace to us in your Son. Allow that to happen in these next 30 to 40 minutes over your word. Bring our hearts, and our minds, to attention to the beauty and the wonder of salvation in Christ our Savior. Amen and amen. Okay, last week we, we saw that Christmas was foretold 700 years before it happened, by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in light of God's promise 700 years earlier, we read in Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And so this morning, what I want to do through numerous passages is see the explanation that the New Testament as a whole gives us about Christmas. God sending his son to be an embryo, to gestate in his mother Mary's womb, For nine months and to be born in Bethlehem is all because of what is at stake. For example, that baby grew up and he turned around 30 years old and he gathered friends, many disciples and of those he chose apostles. And one of those apostles name was John, son of Zebedee, a fellow fisherman there in Galilee. Became very close to this baby who was now a man and then watched him die and then ate with him after that and talked with him and then proclaimed him and decades after that he wrote these words in a letter he wrote to churches from first john this is what's at stake but if we christians walk in the light as god is in the light we have fellowship with him with one another and the blood Of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. That's huge. This season of Christmas is not about, let's all sense the Christ child and have Him in our heart, indiscriminately of who you are in the culture. Christmas is about the incarnation. The creator of the universe becoming a human being. Not so that we can feel, that's great, oh God now is with us. I like that idea. No. He did it because we are all doomed to the justice of eternal condemnation if we are not somehow mercifully pulled out of our verdict of guilty. That's what the Christmas that the Apostle John tells us about at the beginning of his first epistle. That's what it is. Hear his words. Yeah, that baby in a manger and was a child, and grew up, and became a man, became His friend, and suffered and died, and rose. And so He tells us about Him. That which was from the beginning, which we, we, we have heard, we have seen with our physical eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it. And proclaimed to you who have not seen it. The eternal life. Which was with the Father. And was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The one He's talking about is that baby in the manger who grew up and John hung out with. He's the Savior. Not merely an inspiration, not merely a model to follow on how to live. He came to save. When He grew up, He declared publicly, The Son of Man, I the baby born in the manger, did not come to be served, but I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. And after 15 hours of brutal torture, he said from the cross, It is finished. And then his apostles and many others. They went around the known world proclaiming as eyewitnesses to His resurrection that God the Creator in His Son has done something that means the salvation for anybody who will believe. And so what I want to do then is consider the reasons why we need this baby To grow up and to be slaughtered on a bloody cross in order for us to be saved. So to start, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. And these first three verses set the context for Christmas. And you, baptized, believing person, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul just stated three reasons for baby Jesus to come and to grow up and to die. First reason is because of our state of sin, all of us that were born in. We were dead, spiritually dead, darkened in our hearts, to the one who created us in rebellion against him. That's why he sent his son. The second reason that he just stated is not only that, but then our lives as we walk and live, meaning we are naturally enslaved to Satan, to sin. To the love of the world. In other words. Idolatry. We live. And worship. Everything. But God. And the third reason. He stated. Is that our condemnation. On a future. Judgment day. It's coming. That's why he said. We're all by our nature, children of God's wrath. In short, every human being's circumstance before the Creator is more horrifying without a Savior than any of us can imagine. In the world, even in the culture of Christmas, Everywhere, with lights and carols and Christmas songs, the world will not tell us the truth. But God will. And born again, biblical Christians care enough to warn people to flee from the wrath that is to come. And so that's the good news is we're here in Ephesians 2 at the moment there is christmas and thus there's hope that's what it's about read on i stopped at verse 3 which ended we're all children of wrath we're born into but god but god Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God sent His Son to be the savior of the world. To make us alive from spiritual death. To set us free from slavery to sin. And so that we would spend eternity, age upon age, marveling at, enjoying the riches of his Grace expressed to us constantly in His kindness. Upon whom? All of those who embrace His Son. That's Christmas. So the question then at that point then is how? How is it that this baby Jesus can save you can save me it starts this way he was no ordinary baby mary conceived miraculously in her womb by the holy spirit the uncreated creator became an embryo true humanity and was born, unlike what we just read in Ephesians, He was born without original sin. He was not born or dead in trespasses and sins in His humanity like all of us were. But instead, much like, much like Adam, who was the representative of humanity, Jesus was the second representative of the human race. And who from His conception and all the way to 36 or 37 years old on the cross, He in His humanity lived sinlessly in perfect obedience to His Father. Particularly expressed Through God's law written through Moses all his life. And it is that very law that condemns every one of us because of our sin nature. Jesus fulfilled that law perfectly in our place, on our behalf. So that His human perfection righteousness would be put over into our ledger before God, into our account. Therefore, in other words, considered ours, imputed to be ours. And that's what it means in the New Testament. For, For believers, it means that you have become the righteousness that you never had. You you become God's very righteousness which was lived out and expressed in that human being, His eternal Son, because it is His righteousness that now represents you forever before the Father. That's what positively has happened in the Christ event. But the law of Moses also pronounced judgment upon every one of us. The wages, the dessert, the earning of our sin is death. And so the Savior born in a manger came to deal with that problem also the problem of our guilt. And he did it by taking our place where God took our sin. And He reckoned it upon His Son. Considered it there and punished it in wrath. It's how the New Testament explains it. When the Apostle Paul he says it very clearly this way in Romans 3, verses 23 to 25. For all, every human being, Jew or Gentile, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's here here, here but, but, but they're justified, they're made righteous, they're forgiven of that sin, they're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption. That's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, meaning a wrath-absorbing, substitutionary sacrifice, where God's justice is expressed fully upon that baby who grew up. whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood killing him and it is to be received by faith and Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5:21 and you see them both double imputation when he writes for our sake God made Mary's little boy who grew up to be sin. Meaning to be the sin offering. The substitute. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, the one who knew no sin, so that... In him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin imputed to him. His righteousness imputed to us. Now, back to Ephesians chapter 2. Notice again, verse 3. We were by Nature, children of the wrath that is to come from God. And then, Christmas. The Gospel. But God, by Jesus, made us alive together with Him. He's not done. Now, here's the question. Why would He do that? Why would He send His Son? You say, to make us alive and to forgive us our sins. Why why does He do that? It's the next verse. Verse 7. So that. This is why. So that. In the future. In the in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. How could a just and therefore justly wrathful creator do that to a sinner with a kindness? Only one way. That he sends his eternal son through whom he created all things. To be an embryo in Mary's womb. To be born to live. And to justly satisfy God's wrath. On behalf of all these people. That's where the kindness now comes from. To sinners forever. That's the promise that has not happened yet to any of us Christians. We're not there in verse 7 yet into the ages to come. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 25 to 26. For he, the baby born, suffered and died and rose and ascended, he, Jesus, must reign. Rule until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed, which hasn't happened yet, but will, it is death. And so, before our salvation is complete, something has to happen. And that is our physical. Human bodies must be redeemed and changed and glorified and set free from the effects of the fall. The effects of sin and death. In the first advent, Jesus came in a manger. At the second advent, he will come in his human resurrected body and resurrect all those who belong to him and usher in the promise of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Referring to that, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 55. When referring to us, our physical bodies, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal doomed to die puts on immortality, can never die. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? God's goal, God's purpose of all of that is to put on display His grace. To be marveled at and enjoyed by those people that his Son came to save, and to do so forever. That's why, unless we miss it again, notice Paul puts in the phrase, in kindness. All in the context of, who's he talking to? In the context. Those of us who deserve God's wrath. Who shall separate us from the love of God, therefore Paul will say. Should you ever listen to the voice of Satan or demonic spirits. Look at you. Not, not, not in the gospel. If you, not, not when we're grasping the gospel. The context is you who don't deserve anything but an age upon age upon age of judgment. He has grabbed and will lavish his grace to you in a kindness that is unimaginable. Notice how Paul wants to, again, he wants to modify what the grace, not just grace, in immeasurable riches of his grace. In his kindness. And it's not limited. It's in the coming ages. Well, how long is an age? It doesn't matter. Because once one is over, there's another. But that's the whole point. It is without bound. I know, it's unimaginable because, as I was talking to my 13 year old this week, when we try to contemplate the infinite, we could, it, just, it, starts, it just goes, bzzz. I know, because we're not infinite, we're finite. But one thing that means is that in those coming ages, it's His grace is placarded. It showcases it to us for our enjoyment. It will never come to an end. Where I I know it all. I've seen it all. There's nothing new that will never be. For the creature, there will not ever be boredom. For the coming. Ages upon ages upon ages. This is the meaning of Christmas. Christ came into the world in order to die for sinners who are under God's wrath. So that God would have a people who would value the riches of His mercy and grace and His kindness and love it, and they will value that unendingly forever and ever and ever. Wow. i just sit say nothing for 20 minutes. Contemplate. We won't go that long. One other question then. This Christmas season and any Christmas season. Who are those persons? Who, who are those who are assured of such a promise of the future? New Testament describes that in very same thing, but just with different terms. But here's one way it's described by his buddy John. It is those persons who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is how he says it in 1 John 3.24. And by this, we know that He abides in us. Okay, here it is. Here's his answer. How, John? By the Spirit whom He has given us. Or the way that, that, that Paul says it as you continue on in the context of Ephesians 2, in that whole context, he's saying essentially the same thing here, watch it. start with verse five, "Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made God made us alive." How? By the Holy Spirit to indwell us, brings us to life. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He raised us up with Him. And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Paul, what does that mean? What do you mean He seated us? We're seated right here in this room. What do you mean we're seated in heavenly places? Well, here my analogy is going to fall short, but I'm going to at least try to grasp it, I think, what he's what he's talking about. You all are sitting right here, and we all know the experience. I hope it's not happening right now, but we've all experienced it in church settings. There you sit, you're right here. Or are you? Sometimes as you sit there and this guy speaks, you're really at the football game you intend to watch later today. Or at the mall, Christmas shopping until you come back to be present here. Okay. He seated us. What does that mean? He's grabbed hearts, Well, hell, we're dead, but God Himself, who is Spirit, came to infuse Himself in a unique way into our spirit, which brings us to a realm that we were not in before. We were blinded to It It brings us to a a desire that is now beautiful and welcoming to us. Where, Where does it come from? It comes from the one who dwells within us. God, by definition, is eternally, meaning without beginning, utterly. Satisfied in all the perfections of His being. Shown as the Father for all eternity without ever beginning has has been viewing the perfection of His holiness and goodness and beauty and loveliness and satisfaction personified in His Son and His Son. Reflecting back all of those attributes of God in the face of the Father and utterly complete and personified in the Holy Spirit. And He places Him in us so that we finite beings get brought into tasting of God's love for God. That's what Paul says. We cry out, Abba, Father. Not, not, not because of anything in, in, in us. It's because there's one eternal Son who is God. Who became one of us. And Paul says, He has placed the Spirit of His Son into our heart. Think about Jesus' unique relationship before creation. And then that same one person of the Son Takes to himself another nature that's not divine. It's human. It's ours. And through that, you watch him. I do nothing but what the Father says. Oh, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had before the world began. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. That one walked with Him. The reason any of us can be saved by His work on the cross is because of His work on the cross, He comes by the Spirit which blows into our hearts. And we are alive. We love Him. Oh, we're still sinful. But we know him. No wonder Paul. Or rather, (laughs) we are known by him. That's what it means. If that's you, you're seated with him in the spiritual realm. Oh, it's real. It's here. God is real and He is spirit. We're flesh. We're physical. we got a whole science on that called physics. The spiritual world does not qualify for that. It's more real than this. The one who is spirit created this. And so that's why Paul then exhorts those of us who are walking in two realms. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places, walking this earth, saying to the Colossians, in chapter three, verses two to three, here you go. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in. God. So we believers, we may be here on earth, but it is God who is unseen. It is the promise of Ephesians 2, the ages to come, and it is the presence of the spiritual kingdom now. It's heaven that holds our affections and governs our desires. It's what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. As John would continually pound the believers, do not love the world or the things in the world. It's the way Peter expressed it when he wrote in verse 8 of chapter 1 of his first epistle. Here it is again. This is what it is to be seated with him. Though you, you have not seen Him, as John has, and Peter has, as John, John testified, right? we've seen Him, we touched Him, the whole works, yes. But throughout church history, we haven't. Though you have not seen Him, nevertheless, what? You love Him. Though you do not now, you will, but you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. It's filled with glory. It's filled with The glory, the radiance, the essence, the beauty of who the creator of you is. So to sum up what I've said, once we who believe, once we were dead, we were dead in our sin But God made us alive together with Christ. Once we were held captive by demonic influence, by love of the world, by our fleshly desires and of our minds. But He has set us free. Once we were awaiting wrath which was to come. But God has promised to spend eternity instead. Unfolding the beauty, the riches of His grace from a heart of unimaginable kindness, all because of Christmas, which led to Good Friday into Easter Sunday. And all of that eternity, it hinges on what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and this is His commandment. Here it is then, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And Mary, you shall call His name Jesus. Paul tells us, in his own context of Ephesians 2 then, how to have these riches forever. It's in verse 8. For by grace have you been saved. Through your faith. Oh, which by the way, even that is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that no one would boast. And so, like every Christmas season, oh, the beauty, particularly. Uh, if there are ears in here that have not come to Him, come to Him. I'm looking at the vast majority of you. I know you've come to Him, you're believers. Oh, what a joy to hear this message, and revel in it again and again. Every Christmas, and throughout the year. Hear the good news of what it means. Wake up every day and see it. Believe it. Embrace Him. That's the message of the gospel. Be the object of God's mercy to you in kindness forever. Whosoever will. Let Him come. And so, since that's Christmas, no wonder on the day that Jesus was born, the angels said to the shepherds in the field, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, A savior. Who is Messiah? Yahweh. And so how can any of us who have been made alive in Christ, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, brought from unbelief to faith in Christ? How could we not delight to sing? The song, hope of the ages. The vision once clouded has now to our hearts appeared. Once shrouded in mystery, redemption has been made clear. Our Messiah now has come, word made flesh. The saving one. All hell the One who revealed to the world in Bethlehem born to a young virgin girl, lamb without blemish, yet cruelly betrayed, who cried, It is finished! And rose from the grave the Father's great gift and the proof of His love hope of the ages our God here with us let's pray Father we thank you for this gift may we taste of the riches of your grace even in our brokenness Even in our mortality, even still laden with sinful temptations daily in our lives. By the Holy Spirit, glorify your Son in your mercy, in your grace, in your kindness. And let it ring as we sing to the glory of his name.